And, you know, can I just tell you, I, I love you guys. And, and I, love, I love being with you, right? You know, what makes a church, you know, we're one church in three campuses, right? We got people watching online all over the place. We got people at Webster and here in Rochester. What makes a church a family is not the walls that surround us, but it's the fact that we're together. We're gathered together as the church. And man, can I say to each and every one of you, welcome home. I mean that, welcome home to every single one of you guys. Yeah, it's great to have you here today. And so let me just, before we dive into God's word, I want to tell you about something that's coming up, something that I love. It's my favorite Sunday from year to year. We call it open baptism. It's a baptism service. And here's my challenge to, to, to many of you, right? Let's say you're in Northridge, right? You, you, you love Northridge. It's your church and you're following Jesus, right? You've made him your forgiver, your leader, but you've never taken that step of public baptism, Right, where you publicly declare to the world, to your church, to your family that I'm following Jesus. And so if that's you, man, I would just challenge you. October 24th, open baptism, our baptism service, it's your moment. It's your chance. And here's the great news. Everybody's so afraid of shooting the video. You don't have to do that. Right? You just show up. We'll pack your bag. Right? We will have clothes ready for you to get baptized on that day. All you got to do is show up and say, I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to tell the world I'm following Jesus. And so if that's you, here's my challenge. It's simple. Go to Iwant.info. Right now, grab your phone, Iwant.info. There's an open baptism tab. You click it. We'll take care of the details. We'll get rid of it. If you want to talk to a real person, you can go to Next at our physical locations. Or if you're watching online, you can ask to talk to a host. And so, man, we would love to celebrate. It's going to be an awesome day of life change and the celebration of people following and making that publicly. And so we can't wait to do that. If you got your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5 is where we're going to be. And if you haven't been with us, maybe you're checking out Northridge for the first time. We've really, for, for four weeks, we're going to go seven weeks into this series, Against All Odds. And we're talking about one major issue that we have, trusting God fully. Right? We've been talking about trust, this, this word, this issue, and how we struggle as humanity to trust God with everything that we got, every nook and cranny of our lives. And in week two of this series, I said something that I really believe, that the greatest obstacle that you have, that I have, in, in fully trusting God is not outside circumstances. It's not things out there, but it's me and it's you. We are the greatest obstacle that gets in the way of fully putting our trust in God. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about barriers that we create to fully trust in God. Last week, we talked about fear. I don't know about you, but it was powerful over three campuses watching people laying down their fears at the feet of Jesus. It moved me. And I know some of you are wrestling with that, that wall you created of fear, of fully trusting God. And we're going to continue that conversation in 2 Kings chapter 5. And part of this series, I'm kind of showing you how, how Scripture flows from period to period all the way to the New Testament. And so last week we were in the book of Judges. Right? And God used judges for the nation of Israel to deliver them. They're not legal people. They're not lawyers. But they're deliverers. And so all throughout the book of Judges, God would send male and female judges to deliver the nation of Israel back to God. And so after the book of Judges comes Samuel, and, and Israel is growing as a nation. They're getting larger and larger, and they want something. They want a ruler. And so in the book of Samuel, God gives them what they want. He gives them King Saul, the very first king of the nation of Israel. And Saul starts out really good. He's a godly king. But things change. 
And he changes. And so because of it, God anoints another king, King David, the line of Jesus, our Savior. And then king after king after king through Samuel, first and second, and then the book of Kings. We see kings all throughout the history of the nation Israel. And the kings start to turn away from God. They worship idols. And so the nation of Israel is divided into two kingdoms, the southern and the northern kingdom. And that's kind of the setting of the story we're going to look at today. Second Kings chapter 5, you can follow along. It says, now Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. Because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier. Now we're, we're a little bit switching up gears for, from the first three weeks. The first three weeks we talked about people who were close to God, who followed God, right? Noah in the ark, man, Noah was close to God. We, we talked about Joshua, the leader of the nation of Israel. He, he listened to God. He knew God. We talked about Gideon, a, a deliverer of the nation of Israel. He was close to God, right? But this man named Naaman is different than that. He's pagan. He doesn't know God. He's not from the, the, the Israelite people, God's chosen people. He's opposite of that, actually, because he's the commander of the army that is actually fighting against God's chosen people, the nation of Israel. And the way scriptures describe Naaman is how every man wants to be described, right? A valiant soldier. See, in this society, Naaman was the, the man among men. He was powerful. He was mighty. He had authority. He was rich. He had everything you could possibly want. His life was going really well. He won battle after battle. He was a celebrity. He had power and authority. So Naaman is kind of the guy that you want to be, the guy you look up to. But his story changes with just four words. Just four words. It says Naaman was a valiant soldier, but... He had leprosy. See, Naaman had a condition that would eventually kill him. In our culture today, we call it Hansen's disease. Still affects our world today, but it's curable. In Naaman's culture, it was a death sentence. It was like the cancer of today. Right? When you got leprosy, it was just a matter of time before this disease would take over your body and kill you. And it started slow. Right? It's a skin condition that it starts in, in one spot and it begins to spread until your skin just begins to disintegrate and you die. It was, it was a detestable disease. It was something that no one wanted in this culture. And here's the reason. Part of it was social, right? Because once you had leprosy, they would ostracize you. They would put you in a group of, of lepers and you could only come in public on certain times of, of the day. And if you were ever to come out in public, you would have to announce to everybody else that you were unclean. And so you can imagine leprosy wasn't an exciting part of Naaman's life. And the moment he was diagnosed, he was probably desperate to find a cure. Something to just give him, this valiant soldier, some hope that he could overcome this. And his luck is about to change. Verse 2, it says this. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel. She served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. And so Naaman probably up to this point has hidden his leprosy, right? Maybe small patches. He used his armor to cover it up. He, he doesn't want anybody to know that he's a leper. It would change his life completely. And so maybe his leprosy begins to spread. Because his men bring back a servant girl who serves his, his, his wife. And she notices he has leprosy. And we know that because she looks at his wife, Naaman's wife, and says, hey, if Naaman would just go to the prophet in Samaria, he would heal him. 
he would provide a cure. And this was probably music to Naaman's ears. This was probably the first time he's ever heard leprosy and cure in the same sentence. And so he immediately responds, verse 4, it says this, Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl of Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Now, this is kind of odd, right? <laughs> right? So the commander of the army of Aaron, that's Naaman, who's fighting against Israel, the king of Aram sends him to the king of Israel and wants his best soldier to be healed, who's fighting against the king that he wants healing from. Right? Like, this is strange, right? And, and you know how desperate Naaman was because he brings a ton of gold, he brings a ton of silver and some clothing. And, and scholars believe that in this day and age, it, it equaled to about $1.2 million. So that shows you how desperate Naaman is. He's, he's showing up with a briefcase full of cash saying to this king, hey, I need, I need to find this prophet who can heal me. And the king of Israel does something unique. He, he rips his clothes because he believes that the king of Aram and Naaman are trying to trick him. But Elisha the prophet gets wind of Naaman's arrival and he says this in verse 8. It says, when Elisha the man of God heard the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent, message, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and remember these words, okay? And he will know. I want you to remember these words. We're going to come back to him. And he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him. Go and wash yourself. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. So long journey, Naaman gets exactly what he's looking for, right? He's, he's told the cure. He gets the recipe, right? Hey, all you have to do, if you don't want to have leprosy anymore, all you have to do is go to the Jordan River, dip it in it seven times, take a bath seven times, and you will be healed. And you would think Naaman would be ecstatic. You would think he would be dancing for joy. Oh my word, I, I, I didn't know there was a cure to leprosy and I've, I've found it. I have hope now for a future, but that's not Naaman. Believe it or not, Naaman is actually angry. Why? Well, I'll tell you why, because there's this huge barrier in Naaman's life. A barrier that's gonna keep him from trusting God fully and it's the same barrier that you and I have. It's called pride. Right, Naaman's pride was getting in the way. He was not happy at the method of how God was going to heal him. And so his pride gets in the way. And I believe this today. One of the major barriers that you and I have in our life, we created ourselves. Our pride builds this wall from us fully trusting God's plan. Naaman was the same way. And because here's why. Here's why our pride is such a big barrier. Because our pride tells us that we're able. Our pride tells us that we don't need anybody else. Our pride tells us that we're strong and we're mighty and we can be the, pro with the solution to our problem. That was Naaman. He was the solution to every other problem he had in his life. And his pride told him, I don't need some weird, strange way to find a cure. I'll do it on my own. That's why I'm so mad. And right, you think about our theme verse, right? Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. All Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 are, is, is designed to crash our pride, right? Look what it says. It says, trust in the Lord. Let me, let me translate that a little bit differently for you. 
You need God. You need God. And, and guess what? You need God. And what that means is you can't lean on your own wisdom, your own ability. You have to submit to God. And here's the worst part of it. Here's the problem we don't like the most. And he, not we, will direct the path. And come on, let's be honest. We don't want God to tell us what to do. Our pride doesn't like when God says something that we don't agree with. And so you know what we do? We build the wall. We let our pride get in the way. That's what Naaman did, right? God, I want you to heal me in a different way, and so I don't believe in your way. And trust in the Lord with all your heart, it just, it just humbles us that, man, I, in my life, I'm dependent on somebody else other than myself. I can't fix this problem on my own. And so let's look at Naaman's response. Think about this. He gets the cure he's been searching for his whole life for. And look what happens. Verse 11 says, but Naaman went away angry. What? It makes no sense. Imagine this. Let's put it in modern society, right? You are dying of cancer. There, there is no cure. The, the doctors tell you, hey, you're just going to slowly fade into death. And then somehow God provides a miraculous way for you to be healed. And you're like, I'm, I don't like that. This doesn't make any sense, but this is what Naaman's doing. He's going to die of his leprosy, and yet he's mad. He's angry. It says Naaman went away angry. I thought he would surely come out and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God, not my God, the Lord his God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abna and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters in Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned off and went in a rage. It's crazy. And guess what's happening right here? Is God, through Elisha, is beginning the process of crashing down Naaman's pride. And he does it very early on in two ways. The first way is you notice Naaman, when he comes to get the cure to his leprosy, Elisha doesn't even come out of his house. He doesn't even greet him. He sends a servant. Someone lower than Naaman to deliver the news. And, and for a guy of Naaman's stature, for a guy of, of Naaman's hierarchy, this was an insult. He probably was like, does this prophet know who I am? I'm the commander of the army of Aram. I could wipe Israel out. And so he should respect me and come out and look me face to face and tell me what I need to do. How dare he? Does he know who I am? The second way was through the Jordan River. Now, if you've never been to Israel or seen the Jordan River, let me tell you, it's disgusting. Right? I, I've seen it with my own eyes. My body has been in the Jordan River. And while I was in the Jordan River, I was waiting for one of two things, either an anaconda or a gator to take me down. <laughs> like, it's like swamp, bayou, nasty, brown water, right? You want a good picture? Just go to the Genesee River, really. I mean, yeah, I'm sorry, Rochester, but come on, ain't nobody calling that water clean. <laughs> and ain't nobody jumping in it to get clean. And so for Naaman, he's like, man, do you, do you know where I stand in society? Do you, do you know who I am? For me to get into the Jordan River? Now, if you told me, God, Cuca Lake, <laughs> okay, you know, all day, that's beautiful, crystal clear water, right? Like, that's where healing happens. And you see, Elisha is beginning to step on the wall of Naaman's pride. 
He's beginning to crash the walls. And here's what we have to understand about the pride in our life. We all struggle with it. And if you say you don't struggle with pride, boom, there it is. Gotcha. Right, so this is a message for every single one of us, all of us. And, and much like fear, pride leaves a trail. It leaves a trail in our life. And I'm talking about three trails it leaves. The first one is your pride in your life creates expectations. Right, when you, when you live with pride in your life, Naaman is this, right? We see his expectation. He's coming to a cure. And here's what he, th he says. He says, I thought the prophet would come out and greet me, recognize who I am, and wave his hand over my spot and heal me on the spot. And isn't that true with all of us? Don't we, when, we need, when we need God to provide for us, when we need his provision in any area of our life, healing, you know, protection, whatever it is, when we go to God, we go to God with two expectations. The first one, when we pray for it, we like, God, I expect you to make this a priority. I know you got a lot going on in the world, but this should be like on the top of your list because I'm desperate, God. And so like, hey, can you make this a priority? And our second expectation, God, this should be a priority. But secondly, hey, you don't need to think about it, God. I've already drew up a plan of how I want you to work. And so here's my expectations. You do it, okay? Thanks, God, you're good. And we laugh, but that's kind of what we do. That's what Naaman did. That's what our pride does. We create expectations. And it's funny, we don't do, just do it with God. We do it in all of our relationships. I remember when I was getting married, you know, all the expectations I had of my future wife. And we have relationship after relationship where we set expectations. And we usually don't communicate those expectations. And here's what happens. When our expectations are not met, we lose trust. I see it in Christianity all the time as a pastor. In counseling session after counseling session. God didn't do what I wanted him to do when, I, when he was supposed to do it. And if God doesn't listen to me and want to do what I want him to do, then he's not worthy of my trust. He's failed me. No, he hasn't failed you. Your expectations that your pride built have failed you. God comes through when he comes through at the perfect timing. And so the first thing that our, our pride does is it creates expectations. The second thing it does is pride isolates you. This was Naaman. Right, Naaman had, had been in this point in his life where he has fought battle after battle after battle. And whenever the, the, the area of Aram had a problem, guess who they came to? Naaman. When the king of Aram had a problem, guess who he came to? Naaman. Naaman was the solution to most of their problems. And what that did was it built up his pride to convince him that I don't need anybody. And so he's isolated, living in this world where he is the solution until he butted up against leprosy. Until he realizes, man, I can't win this battle. And can I tell you the problem with many of us? We live in isolation. Especially the last year and a half, we've seen the dangers of isolation. And here's what I want you to know about isolation is you will never fully trust God in isolation. That's a fact. You can try it. You can go for it in a season. It might work. But eventually you'll run into a problem you can't win on your own. That's why God made us to live in, in relationships. He gave his one and only son up for us so that we could have a relationship with him. And so Naaman is living in isolation. He's walking away from his cure. And thank God for his servants. Look what happens in verse 13. It says, Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? Right? If he told you to win a, a war, Naaman, would you have done it for your cure? Of course you would have. How much more than when he tells you to wash and be cleansed? Think about this for a second. 
Naaman's servants. Again, part of the humbling process. Elisha sent the servant to tell him how to get the cure, and his servants save him to get the cure. Again, it's this humbling process. And, and think about these servants for a second. Do you realize what they put on the line in this moment? His servants loved him enough to, to get in his way. And, and do you realize that Naaman could have had his servant killed for daring to question his authority in his decision making? But his servant loved him enough to say, no, I won't, I won't let you walk away from this. And can I tell you, we all need that in our life. We all need servants like this in our lives, people in our lives. When we choose to walk away from God, they stand in our way and say, I won't let you go there. I won't let you make that choice. And it's not fun for us. And that's why we as a church, we push you hard. This is why I'm so annoying with community groups, because I don't want you to sit in a row in isolation, but I want you to be surrounded with the people of God. When you choose to make a, a dumb decision, they'll get in your way. Do you think I like being annoying, like getting in a community group, getting in a community group, getting in a community group, getting in a community group? Do you think that's fun for me? No, it's not. But I want to get in your way from isolation. And I want the people of this church, this family, when you choose to, 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 to feel unloved, when you choose to walk down a path, the people of this church say, we will not let you go there. Thank goodness for Naaman's sermon. He servants. He's walking away from his miracle, and they say, we're going to push you back towards the miracle. And so Naaman goes to the Jordan. And on his way to the Jordan, this isn't in the text, but you can see his pride beginning to question God. Right? That's what pride does. The third thing is that pride causes us to question God. And so Naaman is on this journey to the Jordan River, and you can just see in his head, like, God, is this really going to work? Like, I, I get it, God, right? I know, I know what you said. I know what Elisha said, that if I just take a bath seven times, I'd be healed. But come on, look at this water. It's disgusting. There's no way. I've, I've been in water before, and I've came out worse than I was better, God. So what's different in this water? And you can hear his heart and his mind questioning God. And as he walks into the Jordan River, which I hope was warmer than this water is, You can hear that question, right? It's the question we've been talking about for four weeks now. You can hear God whispering in Naaman's heart. It's the same question he asked Noah. It's the same question he asked Joshua. It's the same question he asked Gideon. Naaman, will you trust me? And I changed it, right? I changed the question, right? Because the first question I asked you in this series is, do you personally trust God? That's foundational, right? But just because you say you trust God, you're going to need to be willing to trust him in every circumstance. Being willing to trust God is a daily decision. When you wake up and life takes a turn, will you trust God then? When you get the diagnosis of leprosy, will you trust God then? And it's an active following of Jesus Christ. And you can hear that, that question as Naaman goes to Jordan. Naaman. Will you trust my plan for your healing? I know it doesn't make sense. I know it seems stupid, but will you trust me? 
So Naaman took his first dip. Here's the problem. He comes up from the water and nothing's changed. Right? God, God I, I'm, I'm still a leper after one dip. Like, I, there, it's still there. It's all over my body. And, and, and the first thing he begins to question is God's plan. Right? God, is this really going to work or am I a fool for even showing up to this place? Are you even out there? Like, I, I look at me, God, like nothing has changed. I know it's just only been one dip, but like, couldn't you just give me a sign? Couldn't you just show me that you are powerful in just a small way by taking one spot away? But again, you can, you can hear that echo in Naaman's head. Naaman, will you trust me? And so we went down one more time. Nothing's changed, God. I'm still in the same predicament. I'm still a leper. The spots are still there. Nothing's changing. And the second thing that Naaman began to question was God's timeline. God, why couldn't it be just one dip or, or two dips? Like, why do I have to waste my time going up and down seven times, right? Like, aren't you big enough? Aren't you mighty enough to heal me on the first or second dip? I don't want to wait, God. I don't want to wait for my healing. I've dealt with this disease for long enough. Can't you just cure me now? Can't you just intervene now? Why, God? And again, you can, you can hear that echo. Amen. Trust me. So he went down two more times. Nothing still. It's still all there, God. And maybe it got worse for Naaman. Because he's four dips in and, and maybe he's created a commotion at the Jordan River and people start to gather around and they're like, what is that guy doing? Oh, wait. Isn't that Naaman, the commander of the army of Aram? Wait, he has leprosy? And the third thing that Naaman questions was his own reputation, right? Here he's got to now live in fear of what people are going to say about him, think about him, right? Because now his secret is out. Now people have, have noticed Naaman's a leper. His condition is in the public. And may maybe you can hear the crowd Taunting Naaman. Hold your breath a little bit longer, Naaman. Maybe it will work. Naaman, it's the Jordan, bro. That water ain't cleaned nobody. <laughs> and now here Naaman is, realizing that the world knows exactly who he is. And isn't that something we all fear, right? 
that if people actually saw me for who I really was, now the world knows I'm a leper. What am I going to do, God? Amen. Amen. Trust me. So he went down two more times. Nothing's changed, God. Six times in the water, and I am still covered in leprosy. Final thing that name in question was God's ability. God, I, I want to believe that you're capable, that you're able, but are you even there? I've been in this Jordan River for like 10 minutes, God. I've been down six times and I don't see any evidence of you working. I've got every spot still there, God. And, and now I realize that if I go down one more time and I come up still a leper, my hope is shattered. My dreams are gone. The cure has left the building. God, are you actually able? Are you capable? Are you mighty enough? Are you big enough to actually cure me from something that has haunted me my whole life? Like, God, I need you. And inside of me, there's this doubt. There's these questions. There's this disbelief that you are actually worth trusting. Amen. Trust me. I got you. Just go down one more time. <laughs> it's gone. I uh, what? No, that uh, can't be. Not, not even a scar. Like I'm restored. My my skin is perfect. It's gone. It's completely gone. <laughs> And in that moment, when Naaman came up from the Jordan the seventh time, here's what he realized, is that when you trust God fully with the results, you will see results. And let me be clear, right? I'm not saying you will see what you expected to see. I'm not saying that you, God will work in your timetable and in your way. But when you trust God and you say, God, you do what only you can do, you will see the results of a faithful God because he is faithful. That's in his name. It's how he's described. He always comes through when he needs to come through. Yeah. And Naaman got to see the evidence of it. But here's what's crazy. We, we, we think the healing of his skin, his leprosy, was the great healing of the story. But I actually believe the healing of Naaman's pride was the greater miracle. Because let me show you the change in Naaman. Look what it says here at the end of the story. It says, the Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God. That's Elisha the prophet. He stood before him and said, remember those words I told you to remember? Elisha said, he will know. Look what Naaman says. He says, now <laughs> I know that there is no God in all the world except in 
Israel. Let me translate that for you. Now I know I should trust God with my life. And here's, look at the change. It says, so please accept a gift from your servant. Right? Naaman was a master, a commander, and now he labels himself a servant. Because his, the walls of his pride have come crashing down. So let me ask you this today. Because I'm freezing. So we're going to wind this thing down. <laughs> but seriously, is pride getting in your way from fully trusting God? Do you believe you're able and you're capable of handling it on your own? And maybe you are for a season, but there will come a circumstance in your life bigger than you. And who will you trust with? So what do we do today? Here's my challenge. I think all of us, every single one of us has to learn to swallow our pride and humble ourselves. And I'm going to give you two ways to do that. The first way is to get rid of your expectations of God. Some of you today, you need healing. You need provision. And you're going to God with expectations. And I would challenge you this week as you pray to just say, God, I trust you with this. You do what you need to do, and I'll trust you with the results. The second way is to surround yourself with a community that will push you towards the miracle, not away from the miracle. When you go to make a poor decision, you need people in your life that will get in your way and say, I won't let you walk down that road. To humble yourselves and to swallow your pride. That's when God begins to resurrect us.